0: Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two, And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin.
1: Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in and being a part of what we're doing. It is March 3rd, uh, Monday, March 3rd, 2015. For those of you who are downloading this broadcast, wondering which broadcast you're listening to, I said March 2nd. It should be. I said March 3rd. It should be March 2nd. I'm so confused. I can't believe we're in March already. How do we get there? Anyway, it's March 2nd, folks. Don't be confused on the day just because your host is confused <laughs> on the day. It's good to have you with us. So many of you have made this your way of getting updates, information. There's great tools out there. I think of Rob Crispin does a great job on his blog that he writes or his uh, newsletter he puts out You know, every day. I just love what Rob writes. His sense of humor is just so dry and so perfect. Uh, so I mean, I'm sure you, many of you read his stuff. In fact, several people referenced Alice's um article that she wrote and published recently. Rob quoted it, and so we've got some questions we're answering for some listeners here in Alice's Hot Topic segment. But again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Appreciate it. The Hot Topic today is on that is very near and dear all of us, recruiting, getting the right people on the bus, getting the right people off the bus to, quote, James Collins and the Good to Great book, but it's really finding the right people that you should be bringing into your company and how do you do it. So Jeff Jensen, who is a red- regular listener of the broadcast, contacted me uh, while in doing one of our broadcasts, and I responded mid-broadcast, of, you know, probably over a month ago now, and uh, I said, I'd love to hear more about your book. He sent me a copy of his book, his book. It's called What a Hoot, Let's Recruit. He's from the Seattle area and one of my favorite parts of the country where I started my career, 41 years ago, who's counting. We uh, are so privileged to have him on. So recruiting, you're going to want to not miss this broadcast. And uh, he's got some great concepts, and I'm getting to know him. And there's lots of reasons you want to get to know Jeff, uh, Jeff Jensen. So he'll be our speaker, or I mean our special guest in the Hot Topics segment. Also, I want to say a special thank you to United Guarantee, who is one of our sponsors. In October, United Guarantee announced Secure Cert. A suite of five options that allows lenders to choose a maximum rescission relief available at no additional cost. Secure Cert has options to fit your business, including 12 to 36 month rescission relief, full file or delegated submissions, one day protection, or excuse me, one day, day one protection. Day one. Okay, folks, I got that one wrong. Day one protection from the moment you get approved. Uh, Choose the options that best meet your business needs and the operational processes. For more details, go to www.ugcorp.com. United Guarantee, or get a hold of your United Guarantee representative. Mortgage insurance underwritten underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. I got to get my mouth working here. Another cup of coffee may be in order. Anyway, Velma, also one of our sponsors. Velma stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. If you're doing your marketing the old-fashioned way or don't have a marketing plan, man, get a hold of Velma. I'll tell you, this group of folks is, does such a great job in customer service. They have a great technology. They do a good job of getting the word out. Many of you get our updates about that broadcast just before the broadcast, and it's our way of staying in touch. And we use Velma to do it. It's a great service. I encourage you to check them out. I want to say a special thank you to Alice Alvey and uh, Joe Farr, who is not with us today. He's traveling uh, this week and next week. But we also have the Prophet Doctor, also known as Andy Shell, To those close and near and dear to us, Andy Shell, the Profit Doctor, will be with us in the broadcast. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to cover the MBS Quote Line update of what's going on in the markets. If you're logged in right now, you're seeing what looks like a straight line down you remember the movie Abyss? Let's show it how they fell off the cliff. That's look what the market looks. It may have found the bottom at about 12, 30 seconds down. Um, Fannie Mae, 30-year, 3% is uh, taking a plunge today, and uh, the, that's exactly what's going on. Personal income came in a little worse than expected. Uh, core PCE stands for Personal Consumption uh, Expenditures, Consumer Index, and that came in right on target. Now, here's what's really interesting. The construction spending had a big dive, a negative 1.1% when economists were anticipating, a two-tenths of 1% positive. And then the ISM Services Index came in at 52.9. So if you look at this data, it really gives you an insight into what's going on today, what's happening, and it's happening in real time. Also, the value, as I say all the time, is the updates that you get intraday what's happening. This week, also on the calendar, we have ADP employment change numbers. We have ISM services index coming out on Wednesday, as well as the Fed Beige Book. Then on Thursday, we have the ECB or the European Central Bank announcement. That is going to give us insights to what ECB is doing or the European Central Bank is doing as it relates to uh, fiscal policy over there, monetary policy. They're tied exactly, well, you know, not exactly tied to the US markets but it seems like we're so connected so we pay close attention to uh the stimulus that's going on stimulus in Europe is needed and if it does happen most likely it'll be positively pre- perceived by the markets and could impact interest rates jobless claims expected to come in at 200,000 this coming Thursday as well as productivity coming in at a negative 2.3% as well as factory orders coming in at seven tenths of one percent. Now that's a positive number versus the previous month reporting period of a negative three point four percent. On Friday is going to be a real big day on
2: uh,
1: employment data. Non-farm payroll numbers come out. Expect to come in at positive two hundred forty thousand uh, non-farm payroll growth versus the two hundred fifty-seven the previous reporting period. Unemployment rate is expected to uh, be at. previous reporting period of 5.7%. So um, interesting to see where the unemployment rate will fall down to. Again, we're seeing job growth, but not necessarily necessarily income growth. So that's a a, dual component. And, of course, I love looking at U6 versus the regular one, I think, is U3 that is most quoted here. Trade imbalance is the last piece of information we'll be looking at. Usually not a big market mover, but the big news this week will be Core PCE, ISM Services Index, both of which are coming out today, and then on Friday, nonfarm payroll job numbers and uh, unemployment rate. So we'll be paying close attention to that. Again, encourage you to check out mbsquoteline.com and uh, check out the good service. We wish Joe and everyone there at MBS – Joe, safe travel and everyone at MBS quoteline just hope you have a great week and appreciate you guys being with us. So let's get out to the ad and then looking forward to coming back. Let's see if Paul Mallo's died. Yes, we've got Paul Mallo on the line. Can't wait to have him give us an update on the headlines. Folks, we'll be right back after this break.
0: Looking for that competitive edge? MBSQuoteline.com MBSQuoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David
1: Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. By the way, if there's a little lag today in some of the the ads we run, it's only because I'm training someone to jump in here and uh, do the broadcast. I'll be doing a uh, spring break. Heading off to some warmer climates. It's cold even down here in Texas, Paul Malo. Quit sending your weather our way. Hey, <coughs> and uh, it's good to have you on the broadcast. Thank I you. always enjoy the, what you're doing. I follow all. I have your site up, open up, and running most of the time because you're really tracking the big news story, and you're a great job of it. And <laughs> I love having you on the broadcast just because of your personality. So give us a rundown of what you have up here on the website that I'm looking at.
3: Well, on March second, not third, we uh, we have a couple different stories. <laughs> that. Okay, okay yeah. now, I, I know you guys got hit with ice last week, right? Dallas. We did. Yeah. You did, and Beautiful. and I know the NBA a had, a had a show in Dallas too, and not everyone made it who was hoping to go to that show. That's exactly um, right. But anyway, uh, what do we got? Uh, well, mortgage earnings—we're we're tallying them up, and it's probably no surprise, but you know, non-banks like uh, Walter uh... been dragging down the composite and you know mortgage earnings were were actually pretty decent in two thousand and fourteen uh... we came up with you know the group that we track for roughly thirty one firms earned fourteen billion dollars which you know it's it's a thirty nine percent drop from the year before which is interesting because originations drop not quite thirty nine percent but about thirty five percent so originations go down thirty five percent and mortgage earnings drop thirty nine percent uh... obviously there's some correlation between originations and profits but servicing is also a big part of the business but you know uh, i mean the, the drag on earnings is, is going to be walters of course or walter investment mm-hmm. corp which owns green tree and aqua has yet to release earnings and that's that's sort of a big mystery in the industry which you know leads us to one of the other stories on the website today uh... we'll get to that in a second uh... interesting story about nationstar they they had pretty halfway decent earnings last week they earned a little over twenty six million or something like that but they also late friday you know unbeknownst to a lot of people they filed a massive uh... shelf registration a billion dollar offering of debt stock and, and other instruments uh... that's interesting partly because, you know, they're owned by Fortress. Fortress owns 75% of their stock, and to me it looks like, well, maybe Fortress wants to take some cash off the table. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Aquin, getting back to them, uh, this is a daily version of a weekly stir we had uh, late last week where we talked to a bunch of investment bankers and others in the industry. And, you know, Aquin, no one knows what the future holds for that company, and some people are already calling it a controlled liquidation. So that story is on the website as well. Uh, Phoenix is out there with a a flow deal, which could be uh, $3.6 billion a year in product. It might be as much as uh, $6 billion a year. They don't name the company, but in their offering circular, they say the seller Hmm. uh, is an originator. It's a subsidiary of a publicly traded company that was established back in 1995. So uh, you could probably guess on who that might be uh... we also had an interesting uh, webinar late last week on loan officer compensation we had a ton of people on the call it was a really good turnout uh... and you know th- this is a hot hot topic uh... the loan officer compensation rule is roughly what a, what over a year old now and you know yes. there are all sorts of questions on on what you can pay how you can pay and we had a bunch of legal experts and one, one of the things they kept saying over and over again Uh, Do not pay your loan officers any kind of compensation based on the terms of the loan. It's a surefire way to get yourself into regulatory hot water. Uh, Also, right before we went to press, the Federal Housing Finance Agency published new guidelines that govern how uh, Fannie and Freddie uh, sell non performing loans. It's really more tied to the bidders. Among other things, they want to make sure who's ever buying these loans, they better make sure that uh, the servicer, you know, gives – the homeowner a chance when it comes to uh, modifications and liquidations. Uh, they want to make sure these things are, are worked on, and that the foreclosure options are offered as opposed to let's you know let's buy a non-performing loan and foreclose. Right. There's a lot of equity in the house, so that came out just at press time. We didn't have time to do a big write-up, uh, but um, it's out there, and we have. Uh Radian came out with a new uh ten K filing. They they have two hundred new customers in the past year. I would assume some of the other MIs are in the same boat on that. Uh and that's all the good stuff. One note, Michael Kim, who some people might know in the industry at C R T Capital, he just shifted mm-hmm. over to uh Apollo Global Management and that I think is Leon Black's Apollo. Uh, and That's another company that people might want to keep an eye on. So that is all the interesting stuff. And uh, we had ice last night in D.C., in case anyone uh, cares about what we're <laughs> going through here. Nothing like the poor folks up in uh, Boston and New England and uh, Maine. Oh,
1: yeah, and they've got four
3: feet of snow this winter. It's pretty amazing.
1: So, But that's all Unusual. the stuff. Yeah, it's so you're... It's uh, good to see you in and giving us updates on the market. Really appreciate. It. And folks, if you're not looking at IMF news on a daily basis, you are not getting these updates. You are missing what's happening in the market. And I think it's important. You say, well, one person said to me, "Well, yeah, but Dave, I'm I'm an original. I'm down here in the ranks. Yeah, but you know what? Your company may be doing business with a company that Paul or John or any of the folks there, uh, Tom Wright, Thomas write us about." And it may have an impact on who you're selling to. you you got to stay up on this stuff. we got to keep one, as uh, one person said, keep one eye on the weather vane at the top of the barn. It's what's going on in the industry. It's a great tool and a great place to do it. And Paul, I appreciate you taking a moment. Thank out you. Of your busy Thanks for day. having me. Greet, greet, all, greet all our friends over there at IMF Finance, Indecide Mortgage Finance. Check it out, folks, imfnews.com. Paul Malo, have a great week. Stay warm, you too. man.
3: Take care. Thank you. You all too. All right. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Alice Alvey, always fun to have you here. Yeah, well, we don't. You know, you're saying cold ice? Ha! I'm here, in Detroit. It's freezing up here, all the time. Even well, in August. Well, yeah, we have
4: the cold weather. I know, but it's sunny today, so we are not complaining. You know, it is. Uh, it's nice out, so we're good. We're good. <laughs> but yeah, we just you guys complain. Yeah, we, we've had snow for yeah, quite you're some going, time.
1: what a bunch of wimps. <laughs> we know, I know, I
4: know. Yes, yeah. No, that ice is a challenge. Okay. I get it. But, yeah, you know, so we've got, um, I'm telling you, you know, we have different seminars going on all the time. And every time we attend and or host one regarding the Tila-Ruspa integrated disclosures, I am amazed at the people and companies who still have not really embraced how big of a deal this is. Uh, LOS Mm, providers, you know, having their events. Yeah, I mean, the LOS providers having their events and these, you know, last week, the week before, you know, this is that season where they're trying to show their um, clients, here's what our plan is for rolling out our, you know, what you're going to have, how big of a testing window are you going to have. And there are people in those audiences just for the first time going, you know, taking notes and as if this is the first time they're really paying attention. So, uh, folks, for those of you who are behind the eight ball, so to speak, uh, these are some of the things that we're watching that companies and their project management need to think about. And this, this is the other area, Dave, I just want to give folks a head up, heads up about. We don't see people having all the right components within their project management. There are system issues as far as completing the forms and workflow. There's all the workflow changes themselves, how everybody has to change and work differently. There's the impact to all the staff, their knowledge, the training they have to have, there's all the documents that change, right? You have trickle-down because now there's combined additional documents in these forms. And then the biggest one is vendor readiness. Um, I'm sure you guys are getting questioned a lot, too. We are. Oh, we're yes. ready. We've got our procedures in place. We've been doing training and researching on this, and we're ready actually to help the clients. But I'm surprised um, how many you know uh, companies don't even think about, oh, that's right. I've got to figure out all my vendors. So that's my Trid heads up for the day. From a legislative standpoint, Senate Bill 495, this is the one I mentioned very briefly in the past that this is about, you know, to revoke the charters for Fannie and Freddie. But now the wording's out, and this is really about trying to create a mortgage finance agency, an MFA. And Dave, I don't know, are you guys uh tracking closely yet the where Congress may be and uh for trying to replace Danny and Freddie? And this is the the challenge we're all faced with are they gonna pay attention to it? I don't know, do you have high confidence Congress is gonna pay attention yeah. to it?
1: No, it's it's political rhetoric, I don't think there's any reality that we can enter into in a world without Fannie and Freddie uh, in in the next five years. And so I think it's going to be – it'll come up as a hot, hot topic. It'll be a plank in the platform of many politicians, especially the ones on the right, the further right, more plank, the bigger plank, I guess, to get rid of Fannie and Freddie. But, you know, it's – so the reality is is, – there's issues there, but, no, I don't see that happening. It's just going to be, as we enter this crazy season, as David Stevens refers to it, the election year, upcoming election season, it's going to be crazy, and we're going to hear a lot of it, but nothing. After everything is said and done, nothing will be done. My nothing will be
4: really done, could be done. Right. That's what I'm thinking. So this bill, though, uh, what, the, what I find interesting is it's very weak because it really just tries to create another agency that's essentially conforming for Jenny May conforming. Um, It really just looks the same way. You would be an issuer. uh, So the language is weak right now, but at least it's indicating that someone's making an attempt to create the conventional version of being a Jenny Mae issuer. And we all know that's not exactly the same way we need this market to work to replace uh, Fannie Mae already. Do you know sponsoring that bill? I had that up a minute ago. So uh, let's see. Senator Isaacson, Johnny Isaacson. And
1: what side of the aisle?
4: Georgia.
1: Yeah, it's the Republicans that are the ones that are barking about this the most. Uh, and then we have Senator Warren on the other side who's saying, you know, let's just go ahead and do a principal reduction, which is about as insane as anything you can come across. So uh, in my opinion, so I know that'll ignite some yeah. discussion, but it's just really interesting. Yeah, it's just I, I think, again, Alice, it'll be something we pay attention to. We should report on it, not ignore it. Could be surprised, but I, I'm doubtful of that.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. Anyway. So, well, anyway, so that's the scoop, folks. On um, in terms of um, other things to be watching for, we're getting closer to the FHA 4001 revisions. Um, there, those are constantly rolling out. So make sure your team is watching what's going on with the new FHA handbook. Um, And then we do have this FHA proposed rule where the – I'm sorry, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau rule where the comments are due by March 15th. Make sure you get your comments in about this change in the definition for small creditor. Uh, This is a big change, I think, competitively for companies. um, The more companies that are in the small creditor bucket, the uh, more competition there will be in in that non-QM space because they're essentially exempt from having to make that QM classification. It gives them a little more leeway. Uh, for their loan program offerings. So that's my report for today, Dave. I'm looking forward to our next call. Oh, and I, I know you had a question from somebody coming in, and I didn't know if you wanted to say yes. that for the hot topic. Yeah, let's, no, let's go ahead and do that, that now. If you want... have to explain
1: <laughs> Yeah, so go ahead, and I would like to have it covered now. As one of our regular <laughs> listeners said in an article, uh answer so a few, or a question, and uh, again, he compliments you that Rob Crispin picked up on your explanation. Rob did a good job explaining. You know complimenting you on that and there are some questions and I think it represents a lot of questions out there amongst those that are originators so if you could respond if you could state the question and respond to it, it'd be great
4: so the uh, question or you know I made a comment that you know originators would need to know how to explain this total interest percentage that's going to be on the new loan estimate just as you would explain the other mortgage forms in the loan application to your borrower. And an individual wrote back and he certainly was saying, hey, I do this, but is it really required? Do you consider this to be that a loan originator's job? And and he was kind of adamant that he's never seen it in writing, that this is my job to read the disclosures. Isn't the borrower supposed to be the one reading them? And uh, you know, I first after I calmed down for a minute. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? That is your job. I understand product, but you know, customers don't get the the process, even if they've refinanced with you four times over the last six or exactly seven years. Right don't remember and the form is about the cost of the financing and of course you have to explain all the disclosures and so there was he was pointing or asking to point to a particular regulation I guess the one that comes to mind is UDAAP unfair deceptive and abusive acts or practices so if I'm not fully explaining to some something to someone is it therefore considered that I've done something deceptive? I have not been proactive. Right. So UDAAP is just as much about what you didn't do, and that's where to me it comes in. It's
1: a really it's important point. I think required
4: by a regulation. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's, uh, the Profit Doctor and you guys had some, Profit Doctor added some commentary. uh, Andy, if you'd jump in on some of that, because I think this is, a lot of people says, do I have to do this? And I think you brought up an interesting discussion between a loan officer and a loan originator. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You need to be, to explain this. But Andy, do you want to add some thoughts to that?
5: Well, just real quick, the, the, the question came in referencing themselves as a loan officer, and My years in in commercial bank depository mortgage lending, we were very clear that our mortgage origination team are not bank officers. And the reason we do that is because there's a significant implied authority that comes with the title officer. So by this person was concerned about personal liability as a result of potentially mis-explaining the form. And so first Mm -hmm. off, by being an originator, you're you're simply a representative of the mortgage lending operation with with limited authority except to present loan documents and loan information, including the disclosure. Uh, So by being an officer, you're bringing potentially more uh, implied authority clearly and potentially more liability as a result of that. So right out of the gate, if you're concerned about this, I wouldn't refer to myself as an officer. I'd refer to myself as an originator simply because we don't want yeah, to have them point.
1: by the authority. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a good point. People say, well, it's a bank issue, not, a, not a re- re- um independent mortgage banker issue. Let me tell you, the two lines are being significantly blurred, folks. If you are an independent mortgage banker or a regulated bank, it's, it's just about getting to be the same. You should treat yourself and say, what do banks do? What are banks uh, really under the... Um, requirements to perform at or levels to perform at and that's where you should every independent mortgage banker I tell we tell all our clients, act like a bank. Go out there, get ready. You may not be quietly, it may not be a hundred percent the same, but treat yourself like a bank and you're gonna be study how a bank operates. And there's no one else better to do that than than Alice Alvey and Andy Shell. Andy Shell was you were the you were a controller at a bank. You were a senior executive officer at a bank for years. And so I think you have that real interesting perspective that I think uh needs to be introduced to many independent mortgage bankers. So, so thank you, Andy. Jumping in on that. Excellent. Alice, good report. Appreciate it. Anything you want to add, Alice, before we go out to an ad break? And then we're going to be back with Sam Garcia, get a profit doctor update, and then we'll be back in with the um uh hot topic today. Really looking forward to it. Alice, anything for you want to add?
4: No, I think just that closing you know, remark is that absolutely when a customer receives anywhere from a 50 to a 100-page PDF as a part of an application <laughs> process, it is the originator's responsibility to not just say, do you have any questions, but to say, Mrs. Smith, thank you very much for applying with us. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of questions about this PDF. Are you available Thursday at 10 o'clock to review this with me? That's an yes. open and fair email to a client.
1: Yep. Very good. Pay attention, heat, everybody. Originator or officer, you take on the responsibility. It's your responsibility and uh, take it seriously. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Andy. Folks, we'll be right back after this brief break.
0: If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support portfolio, conventional or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge.
1: Mm, yeah, give you the edge. You know what I do every time I hear your ad, Alice? I pull out my air guitar, I kick my chair back, and I start just playing my air guitar. It's just one of those <laughs> things. It's a good thing we're not using cameras. We talked about doing cameras. I decided I'm not so sure that's a good idea, the way I move around in my office sometimes. All right, Sam Garcia, it's always fun to have Sam here. I guess I better turn on his mic to make it a little bit easier for him to, for us to hear him. Sam Garcia, it's good to have you back here with us again. Sam is the originator of MortgageDaily.com. It's a great website to go to, and we're thrilled to have him here and uh, to give us an update on what he's covering. Sam, how are you doing? Hey, James. Hey, thanks there? for
6: having me here. Yeah, we're a little bit chilled, but I'll tell you what, we're thawing. It got kind of ugly for a few days there, so it's not quite as bad today. Anyway, um, it looks like uh, Fannie Mae brightened its outlook for refinances, Um we see that in Fannie's uh, economic outlook release last week that it raised its 2015 refinance origination expectation by $95 billion uh, from what it thought last month to $574 billion for the year this year and uh it also pushed up next year's uh, refinance forecast by 47 billion to 460 billion. So uh that's always good when the nation's biggest uh mortgage company uh says refinances or any kind of new originations for that matter are going to be bigger than what was expected. Um we saw that uh the agency issuance of mortgage-backed securities by Fannie Freddie and Jenny uh was up last month it was actually eighty four point four billion it was four percent better than it was in january and the funny thing is is that while fannie mae and jenny mae's uh, issuance was down uh... freddie max was up by a third and that was enough to basically carry the whole month uh... higher for all the agency uh... fixed rate issuance um, on the uh, weekly mortgage activity, we saw that our mortgage market index, which we published with data from Optimal Blue, it was up 12% last week. Uh, it was a kind of a drop in rates, a slight drop, and a recovery from the holiday week drove, drove the drive. Um, and what was really up the most was refinances which jumped 17% on a week-over-week basis, and they're, they're actually up 62% from the same week a year earlier. So, again, a little bit uh, some more signs that refinances are strengthening uh, for the time being. Over at uh, Freddie Mac, uh, Freddie put out a uh, monthly uh, operational report, and what was interesting in that report was that there was a 90-day delinquency rate of 1.86% 1.8%, on its uh, residential loans, Um and serious delinquency hasn't been that low uh, since December 2008. I know. So uh, uh just keeps That's coming in lower and lower. Uh, yeah. And then the mortgage bankers put out their own uh, uh, delinquency survey, and they reported that 30-day delinquency excluding foreclosures was 5.68% in the uh, fourth quarter of last year uh and that's the lowest it's been since the third quarter 2007 mm. and then and then mba's foreclosure inventory rate of 2.27% was the lowest it's been also since 2007 um on commercial we are uh,
1: recovering yeah that's good yes
6: yes uh, on commercial mortgage-backed securities, we saw that the uh, delinquency rate, 30-day delinquency rate, uh, was down three basis points in January. Morningstar reported that. And uh, hotel delinquency was down 30 basis points. That was the biggest decline of any category. Uh, and one other thing uh, we saw that was that got a lot of traction last week, some interest from some of our readers, was uh, uh, a lawsuit that uh, – Fannie's being sued for a $100,000 deposit on some REO properties that had uh, uh, had put up for bid. The deal didn't go through, but it held back the $100,000 deposit. So that's what that lawsuit is. Fannie tried to get it dismissed, and that was declined by the judge. So we'll see where that one goes.
1: Good job. Interesting updates. Lots of great information on the website. Encourage people to check it out, mortgagedaily.com. And you can get a hold of Sam at two one four five two one thirteen hundred, or you can email him at what is it, Sam? Sam at Sam Garcia at mortgage daily. dot com. That's right? it. Yeah, dot com. Good, 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 good. Sam, thank you so much for being here with us. Appreciate you taking time out. And being, uh, giving you, us Dave. an update. Love, I love the data that you got out here. And, folks, if you haven't checked out his reporting, be sure to do so. Log in, take a look at it. Mention you heard about it on Lickin' on Lending. like to have him know that he's getting listened to out there. Good to be with you, Sam. Thanks so much. Have Thank a great rest the week. You bet you. you have a good one. All right. You too, man. Ah, Profit doctor, words of wisdom hey, coming forth from the doctor. So, you know what? I see you there with your lab coat. And uh, what prescription are you writing Uh, for our our listeners today.
5: Well, Dave, a couple quick things. We're doing a webinar this week on hedging, so I thought I would talk a little bit about hedging. And then you you mentioned earlier that uh, Fannie Mae are down a bit. So I thought, okay, well, yeah, they're down. It looked like maybe 12 basis points. So I thought, well, what does that mean? Why do I care? And so I thought I'd do a, a really quick uh, reference to that, and there's this new iPad game called Monument Valley where the little... Uh, Monument Valley, okay. <laughs> Monument Valley, and it's where you walk around, and you actually have to then walk sideways and upside down to get where you want to go, so you got to have really detailed spatial orientation to actually walk this little critter up and down, and that's kind of like what we're going to talk about with rates, because when the Fannie Mae prices fall, what does it mean Happened to rates? It means rates rose, and it's because the Fannie Mae 30 or 3% coupon is now being discounted against a higher expectation of return, so if you take a 3% rate and discount it at a higher rate, you end up with a lower price. That's why prices drop when the rates rise, because there's a higher expectation of anticipated cash flows based on a higher discounting rate. Same thing happens when the opposite occurs. So the the quick reference is as rates rise, Fannie Mae and B.S. prices drop, value of our loans drop. But what does our hedge do? Because we've we've sold Mm -hmm. the hedge forward, it goes up. Hedging, our, our short TBA position, has a direct correlation to changes in rates. As rates go up, the value of the hedge goes up our loans and MBS prices have an inverse relationship to changes in rates. As rates go up, the value of our loans and MBSs go down. So vice versa, rates go down, loans go up, hedges go down. So it's just something you got to keep in your head. And if you think about why it happens with the uh, present value of the discounted future cash flows, you can see why it happens. And there's a lot of math behind it, but it's really not that complicated. But I thought I would throw that in just for a
1: quick That's good. So well, that's always good, and it also helps, you know, it's, it, it relates into accounting too because how people account for that. What are some common errors that you're seeing as it relates to accounting on the secondary? Because you do a lot of hedge model validation. In other words, companies, regulated institutions, banks have to have their vendors that they use for third party val- um, hedging, they have to have their strategy validated and you do that on a regular basis. What are some of the things that you're seeing and picking up as for our listeners that are hedging that you say watch this be careful of that. What would that be, Andy?
5: Well, the the the, the first thing would be that uh, best efforts locks are derivatives and must be reported as derivatives with the unrealized gain or loss in the best efforts commitments reported on your financial statements. So people like to forget about best efforts because they say, well, they're just best efforts. Well, it doesn't matter if it's best efforts or in a hedge. The issue is the interest rate lock commitment you issue to the customer. That's That's the litmus test, and that's a derivative, and that's reportable as a derivative. The other thing is on the hedge side is updating the pipeline change with your hedge advisor on a, Periodic basis, a very recurring basis. Like with our sponsors, Secondary um, uh, Optima Blues, Secondary Marketing Services, they've got this this bi directional feed that as soon as their lock happens, it automatically updates the position report so it knows instantaneously. Some other
6: companies submit
5: a data tape uh, regularly, like once a day. And that's going to be, as Les talked about, given the increased volatility. Not enough. You're going to have to update your pipeline position yeah. recommendation more often than just once a day, and so that's the that's the next thing we're seeing is lots of status codes, more status codes, and frequent position updating.
1: That's and good. Then,
5: yeah, and you're right, Dave. I, I uh, you mentioned that I used to be a controller of a bank, and you're right, I was.
1: I was going to bring that up. In fact, let people know that not only was the uh, controller a bank, he was he has been in at many many levels. You were 24 years uh, as a controller of bank. Then you were the CEO of Pez. No, I was 24 years rent. old.
5: No, I was oh, 20, 24 I was years old of bank when I was
1: <laughs> when I was 24 years I old. I You're right. When, oh man, you were young. You were a young star. I, I was the, fa- I was the, the like most backpack.
5: rapidly promoted executive at the bank in its history when I was promoted.
1: Wow! So I was I
5: was wow, controller wow. when I was 24 and CFO when I was 26 and never been less than that.
1: And president and ran several national platforms for the Bank of America. So, not president of Mer- Bank of America, but your president and ran several of the pl- national platforms. That's good. Very impressive. Nice to know we have smart people on the broadcast. If we're going to have them on here, let's get the smart ones on here. But anyway, point of it is, is that you really do have the experience from a bank perspective, and so many people that are looking at the mortgage world need to start examining or rethinking how they look at their business as if they are a full fledged, regulated financial institution. And the well, when you look at our what firm. You
5: Exactly, mm-hmm. Dave. When you look at our firm or look at Alice, um, and then you look at there's some CPA firms out there that are starting to offer advisory services. Well, CPAs know a lot about auditing, but the people in our firm and Alice, we've got what you call the been there, done that T-shirt. We've sat in the secondary mm-hmm. marketing position and gotten yelled at by originators. We've
2: <laughs> dealt with examiners.
5: We've wondered, we've had to explain to the board of directors why the results weren't what they thought they were, why volume dropped. And that's really the difference. We've We've been there. We know what it feels like to – to uh, have the have the scrutiny of the examiners and the uh the frustration of the operations team and everybody wants to quit because the originators are mean and the originators want to quit cuz operations is not fast enough and everybody hates secondary working because the rates aren't good enough and we get to make everybody it
1: happen. is You get yes, you do. You always balance a way to make that happen. Well, Prophet Doctor, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to getting. I could listen to your wisdom on all this stuff uh, for a long, long time, but I know we got a guest that we want to get to and interview him about recruiting. It's a big topic appreciate you taking a few minutes. And folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Mortgage
0: Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512 977 Ninety nine hundred. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level.
1: Good to have you with us, everybody. It is March 2nd. <laughs> After blowing that at the top of the broadcast, March 2nd, and we're thrilled to have Jeff Jensen with us, who is the author of a book, What a Hoot, Let's Recruit. Jeff comes over an extensive and celebrated career in mortgage lending and recruiting out of the Seattle area he was president and ceo of nap agency in seattle and placed management and staff at major employers in the Seattle area since then he has held many positions of been he's held many positions of leadership and required that have required his recruiting skills to be as diversified into many uh, in different industries in the past 20 years he has been in the lending industry In positions as a principal, as senior vice president, executive vice president, manager, originator, he's covered the gamut. He's now sharing his techniques that work for the private mortgage industry and as well as nonprofits. And uh, he's helping people come to work with you that are not even getting paid. So, I mean, when you look at nonprofits, it's always a challenge for those people that are in a nonprofit world that aren't working for you to do what you need them to do, and he's figured out how to do that. Also, I might want to say that he has been, uh, he is the director of the Washington, currently the director of the Washington State Mortgage Lenders Association. He's also past president of the Seattle Mortgage Bankers Association, and so we're thrilled to have with us Jeff Jensen, and I just realized I had not turned on his microphone yet. Multitasking. Want to get him introduced. Jeff, good to have you on the broadcast. Appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you, David. You probably want to keep your hand on that switch for turning me off if you don't like what I have to say. <laughs> no. No,
1: we don't have that you know, that would you, yeah, I love the old uh, vaudeville days where you stood on a stage and if you didn't like what you say, they pulled the switch or hit the hook and you went through the floor or you went off the stage now we're we're really honored to have you here and um it's but most of an honor, especially when we have regular listeners coming on the broadcast and we like featuring our listeners, especially when they're really experts in a field. And this is a very important topic, recruiting, and really getting into it and understanding that. Um, I gave a little bit of an intro about your background. Tell us a little bit more so our listeners kind of get to know you. You've been in the industry for, you know, mortgage industry, you said, for the last 20 years. Um, is it mostly been on the origination side?
2: I have been in leadership roles of either as a principal or as a senior VP. Uh, I've originated the whole time. I've never stopped originating, but uh, so I've been through 2007, 2008, and uh, I've been recruiting for about 20, well, since I was 26 years old, and like you mentioned at the NAP agency, I was, a, I was CEO and president of and we recruited for the high-tech industry, medical, legal, biotech, construction, uh, insurance, manufacturing, and banking, and like you alluded to, wow. also done some non-profit work, so... A diverse background, not just the banking.
1: Well, we'll have to compare notes. I left Seattle in 1986. You were there in 1982 in the business. It would be fun to compare notes and see if our paths crossed while I was up in that neck of the woods. I don't, but let's get into what inspired you to write this book. And you know, I always like to know, I would I get told to write a book, and I go, it's the time commitment. How long did it take you to write this book? It took two years, and uh, I
2: thought it would be a six month process, and I was. I ran into uh, John. Uh, oh, what's his name? The uh, author John Maxwell. That oh yeah, uh, I doing, love John Maxwell. Yeah. Oh, he's written a number of books, and he said, "Jeff, I've heard your name around here, he says, What do you do?" And it was a mortgage banking deal. It was actually the Todd Duncan deal that a lot of oh, yes. people in the bank probably have attended. And he said, "I've heard your name around here a lot. What do you do?" And he said, "Well, I'm a senior VP for a company and." And, uh, he, he says, you know what, he says, you need to write a book on recruiting. And that kind of, that was four years ago that he had made that comment, but, uh, that's what kind of inspired me to write the book. But I thought it takes six months and two years later, I finally have a finished product, but it took a lot of time to get the resources together and, and the people that I was blessed to work with, shares and.
1: Things. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into writing a book, but some people might ask you, so I'm going to ask you a bold question, what qualifies you to write a book like this? That's a pretty background, obviously. but Yeah, uh,
2: my 30 years' experience in a number of different industries, it's given me a broader perspective than someone that may have just been in our industry, the lending industry. Like I say, right. the last 20 years have been in leadership roles. Uh, and I, when we talk about the nonprofit uh, qualification there. I ran a city festival called Linarama that I was chairman of for a period of time. And yeah, when you're not paying people to come to work for you and try to recruit people uh, to do <laughs> primarily volunteer work for you as a non-profit, that's a whole different spectrum. I and mean, you better have some great attractants. You better know how to network. You better know how to do the prospecting. And uh, so that's what qualifies yeah. me. I'm in a number of industries.
1: Yeah, that's That that's tremendous. I'm going to toss the mic to Andy and uh, Alice, and then get over to Andy. So Alice, go ahead. Alice, are we got you there? Your mic's muted again. I bet.
4: Yes, too. Sorry about that. So, so what are the keys to recruiting? I love this subject because I think it just takes such a lot of experience and talent to know the right way to really find the right people.
2: Well, and you know there's no university out there that teaches you recruiting or you can major in recruiting that I'm aware of. But you need to know your own culture first and foremost. And then uh, when you've set up the basis for that, it's creating the attractants. It's building a better you. It's networking. It's prospecting. It's using social media effectively, retention, and then momentum and then putting it all together. Those are really the keys to recruiting. So who's
4: going to benefit the most from reading your book?
2: You know, Alice, anybody that's in a leadership role within their company. And you could be the CEO, a senior VP, manager, lead, or an owner of your own small company. You don't necessarily have to have the title of a recruiter. But if you're trying to build your company, build your team, anybody in that spectrum in a leadership role is going to benefit from this book. hey, Jeff. Thanks for being on the show. It's Andy. I have a
5: couple of quick questions for you as we go through this. Uh, One thing that comes to mind is if you're a mid-sized company and you're aspiring, your vision is you want to be a big company, and uh, one of our clients, Movement Mortgage, has Casey Crawford at the helm a NFL star – and so they, everybody wants to be like Casey because he's a you know manly man. But let's let's say that you're a midsize company, you want to be a a big company, and you're recruiting against these big guys that's got all the shiny toys and fun IT stuff. You know how do you how can you
2: be effective against something
1: great like that? Great question.
2: It's a great question because a lot of people get intimidated by the largers. And what well, I hope it's okay to say names on the. Show Dave, that the Wells Fargo's and the Chases of the world—they, you know, may yes, have yeah, uh, the, Yeah, they may have the ability for larger signing bonuses, maybe a more robust benefit package. But I go into over 50 attractants and what it who let's recruit, and they don't necessarily have to be expensive ones. I'll just I'll blot out a couple here real quick: free parking at a coveted reserve spot in the parking lot for the month, free game room with the stock kitchen, ping pong, anyone. Uh, one paid personal holiday annually, paid for afternoon ski trips, bus service to the mountains while singing the Gilligan's Island theme song, Uh, remote options to (laughs) work from home or abroad, company-paid massages on site, Uh, maybe a birthday Wheel of Fortune, complete gift cards to local restaurants and businesses. And there's just crazy stuff like bring your dog, your cat, your bird, your lion to work for the day. (laughs) <laughs> Probably best to keep seeing species coming in on the same day, I would think. But a limit of maybe eight animals in the house at one time, No barkers, a lot of time for animal potty breaks. Maybe have a wall of fame for pets. Just do stuff that's a little off the wall that will get people talking about your company.
5: Wow, that was really funny. You talked about playing Gilligan's Island theme song on the bus. So now, for all of us who know about Gilligan's Island, the baby boomers, like all of us on the phone <laughs> at this point, um, you know, you, I, I just had to take this ethics test on, for CPAs about uh, dealing with auditing generations and the the, the different issues you face. Mm. And your you, your book covers it, too. How, how do you, you know, talking to those baby boomers who know about a reference to Gilligan's Island, how, how do you deal with knowing the differences in dealing with generational recruiting?
2: It is. So critically important to know the attractants that bring the different generations to you, uh baby boomers born nineteen forty seven to nineteen sixty five generation x are born nineteen sixty six to seventy nine and then the millennials, which I think a lot of us are out there trying to recruit right now, are born from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety four My three boys are in that group, and I love that group they um uh, They bring youthful exuberance and they bring great energy to their environment. So the smallest group with about 32 million currently employed and a total count of 88 million out there. And as time goes on, obviously this group will grow, but the millennials respond to being recognized many times each day. And uh, people like the baby boomers, they might see that as repetitious reinforcement, as a self-serving, unrealistic showering of overindulgence. But I'll tell you, they love to be communicated with, communicated with, and communicated with. So just little things like that, uh, and I go into great detail of the different generations of, of how to attract them. But critical that you know the differences.
5: I always wonder what would happen to the to the uh, the uh, video game generation who didn't like us. We went outside and played. The video game generation just stayed inside the whole time. I was curious how that was different. The
2: Video no, game generation. Go, yeah. Go
1: no, I was going to say, uh, I know one client of ours actually brought in a video game, and the cleaning crew, which is a younger generation, stole all the video games out of the there so they could oh. replace them.
0: So it's oh, just no. like, you know,
1: yeah, it was a hit, but it was a hit more for the cleaning crew. They decided to steal all of the gaming equipment out of there. So it's really bad. <laughs> But you know, I I look at this thing and I look at the culture and I go, you know, I'm of the baby early on of the baby boomer born in 1950, and I look at the, um, uh, you know, I, I look at you know ping pong tables, are you serious? Foosball tables, are you serious? Beer in the refrigerator after hours. Are you serious? I mean, where's the professionalism? I mean, this would never go on at Andy Shell when he ran a bank back when he was 24 years old, by gosh. And so uh, I think you look at this. Now, here's an interesting thing. I was at one of those companies in Denver. And it's called Motivity. And they have up on the mm. wall, interesting enough, a picture and a profile of every employee and their pet and their things that they like to do. You can walk <laughs> up and down that wall and get to know every one of their people and know their personality type. You can see their family fa- fame, their favorite family photo, friend photo, whatever. It is such a neat deal. And the culture they're creating, they're taking breaks. They're doing ping pong. Now, it's a tech company. may not be working for some finance companies. But I think there is some allowance for that. And I think some of us, I can't believe I'm saying this, old guys would look down at that and go, come on. But I had more fun during that time in their offices. Uh, I get to go out there regularly. Uh, But I look at that and I go, that's really interesting, the culture it brings. And that younger crowd, they eat it up. So, folks, if you're Mm -hmm. old like me listening to this thing, don't be poo-hooing that. It does work, and there's companies that can do this. You know, when you hear about people who recruit for a living and the network aspect of recruiting can be really hard, at least it would seem it be. But, you know, not knowing where the, the play, best place to find talent aligns with your company culture, you know, how do you find that alignment? What's the best tools? Is it the questions you ask? Is it where you go look for talent? to create and find a, a better alignment with your company culture? And then what do you know, how do you help someone identify where their culture is? You ask people what they are, and you go, I don't know, I'm, I think we're a fun company. And they go, yeah, right. So what? <laughs> how do you identify their culture, and how do you match it up?
2: I do that in the first chapter. Oh, my gosh, this is so easy. And that's <laughs> the first step. So that as you're aligning people that you're going out to find when you're doing your networking, you're not wasting your time going after people that don't really align with your company. So in my case, I joined the Seattle Mortgage Bankers Association, and the one thing I can tell you is when you go to these associations, you're going to know a lot of the people already. Don't sit with people you know. Don't sit with your team. That's not getting okay. your brand out there. That's not communicating to the people that you're out there trying to recruit. It may be comfortable for you, but you are not recruiting well to be sitting with people that you know.
1: The people so, you know, obviously, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. then that, that,
1: That's... Go ahead, I'm sorry. In
2: our area here, Dave, yeah, there's the Seattle Mortgage Bankers Association, Spokane Mortgage Bankers Association, National Association of Professional Mortgage Women, Puget Sound Mortgage Lenders Association. If you attend these different mm-hmm. meetings, we had, and I think Alice would probably appreciate this, in 2011 when I was president of the Seattle Mortgage Bankers Association, we had a 32% increase in membership. Again, it's a nonprofit group, but we developed a right. legislative data that created the attractant for people to come in that wanted more of a voice in Olympia with uh, loan officer compensation. Uh, and pretty, I shouldn't say that. More with Department of Financial Institutions, helping them Expressing to them what was hurting us on credit unions not uh, paying B and O tax, and we need to level the playing field. So it gave us a voice, and it created some people that were really movers and shakers in the industry to join our association.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Looking at the time, Alice. Let's. Uh, I want to keep. I want to get people as familiar as possible with your book, folks. We're talking with again Jeff Jensen, the author of the book. What a hoot! Let's recruit about recruiting, Alice. Some questions?
4: Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because a lot of folks think of recruiting and they only think of originators. And being from an operations background, I believe everybody in operations should continue to recruit. I don't think operations managers think about that, that they should be recruiting also Mm -hmm. always in the same manner so you know i think even for folks to start thinking about having a discipline what what is uh, you know some say they just have a hard time uh staying disciplined on all the efforts that are required is there some new things that you can do that brings success to the efforts uh in prospecting for great hires
2: i would say everybody knows that uh time blocking is something that if you're religious about and you continue to do the things that you need to do, to do your prospecting, to uh, do the recruiting well, you have to block out at least a half hour of time a day. Go and exercise some of the principles that I talk about in the book. And if you have a well-defined job description of what you're looking for, that part makes it very easy to not take a lot of time Uh, speaking with the people that you know won't fit the alignment for the culture that you have. And the biggest thing we're all looking for is to avoid the bad hire because you put so much time into people, investing in them with uh, your onboarding, with other training processes. And if you can divert that early on by knowing very well what your culture is, defining a great job description of the person you're looking for, uh, and even the operations manager manager if they can incent people that for the first month uh they get a $500 bonus if that person stays on for 6 months and the person that helped get them to the operations manager uh in another 6 months gets $500 if the retentions in place and the people stay incent your people like a pack of wolves go out and recruit for the company All, everybody on the same team Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. That is awesome, awesome
5: way to say that. Well, I have another question. If we've got a little bit more time, Dave. We do. Um, um, I wanted to ask you about asking questions. And I'm one of those people Mm -hmm. who loves to ask insightful questions, so much so that I sometimes make people uncomfortable, as Dave keeps telling me. You can't ask them that. (laughs) So I'm interested in in, in, how do you get inside – the person in an interview setting, you know, if you think about the movie Draft Day, when Kevin Costner actually wouldn't hot, wouldn't draft the guy because his teammates didn't go to his I birthday love that party, movie. and so right that
0: right,
5: so that was a great signal. It was a data point of oh, what, why are you kidding me? A quarterback and the team doesn't like him enough to go to his birthday party. I mean, what? How could? So how do you? Take these little nuances of behavior, body languages, questions, and you got to be careful mm-hmm. about the questions you ask because you can't discriminate because you get in all kinds of trouble. You know, you can't you, you can't ask a woman if she's pregnant. You can't ask if she has kids. You can't ask a man about. I mean, there's these rules about stuff. So how do you do an insightful, comprehensive, meaningful interview? Get the right questions out in an interview session.
2: You ask soulful. Questions, Andy, and I have seven questions that I show in there. But there's just one question uh, that, for me, gets to the heart of what you're talking about, and it's the scenario question. And I may ask somebody: You come in in the morning, you got a call from Mr. Rate Shopper. You've got seven good faith estimates. And I'll role play with somebody at the table when I'm talking to them. Just, how do you take that call? What do you? How do you respond to that call? And I'm going to elicit from that if the person's going to react in anger, if they're going to react in, I'm going to try to find a solution, if I'm going to find uh, the core of how I can benefit this person, uh, not just about rate but uh, about finding the quality of what they're looking for in this next investment and how can I align with those long-term goals that they're looking at to to make this an. So tell me a lot about how somebody's going to react. So I'll use different questions, you know, depending on the level of the hire, if it is an originator or if it is an executive to the company or it's a staff person. Uh, I'm going to put a particular scenario that's going to come into their day-to-day activities that they can't just answer yes or no to. They got to peel back the onion, and I get to see a little bit about who they are. So that's, well, that's
5: good. yeah. Yeah, I don't have a bad hire. Well, Dave, do I?
2: No. You want
5: me to go on, or you? Want yes, to go ahead. Take
1: yeah, go okay. no, go ahead. We're we're going to keep on go. We got we got a little extra time. I now we're going over the 60 minutes on this broadcast uh time, but I want to be respectful of every time. So, let's get through a couple questions. We'll pop it over to Alice very shortly and then wrap it up. Okay,
5: okay. So, ahead, I'll, I'll do I'll do one more then. Okay, so um Jeff, when, when we are you you just talked about we don't want we don't want um like bad hires and when we invest in people uh, that's exactly what we're doing. Training people is investing in people and getting them to become a great resource, a great asset, a great representative of our company. So, what are some of the tools that you rely on to avoid making bad hires?
2: We've all heard of Facebook, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I'll take—I yeah, know I'll take a look on there right away. And if I see a party animal there or somebody that wouldn't represent my company well, believe it or not, you know. You said earlier, Andy, you can't ask certain questions, but with Facebook out there, you can take a look in pictorial essay of how that person conducts themselves.
1: That's so, a good way to put it. That's,
2: good point. Yeah, that's a way, easy way to... A pictorial
1: uh, essay. I like that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Twitter. Uh, again, I talk about having a really good job description. And then picking the right times and, and days to interview. You don't Interview on Mondays and Fridays, there's stuff lagging over from the weekend that's hanging on to people that are doing the interview as well as people that are coming into the interview. Friday, everybody's thinking about getting out of town. You don't interview after 6. You don't interview too early in the morning. People aren't ready. So you want to pick your points of contention there. But And then checking resumes, I don't place a lot of weight on that, but I will put a lot of weight on a personality assessment. And I know a lot of people listening have probably heard of the DISC profile, and uh, there's a lot of them out there. Buffini does a heritage profile and that. But I really have felt that I'm not in a position to manage people or to lead people if I don't know what motivates them, if I don't know what they react to in the workforce, and I'm not setting them up for success, I may be leading them in a way that they're totally not getting, and I've made a bad hire. And at the end of the year, they may be looking – for something else to do. That's my bad. I didn't. I didn't invest in them enough to to really find out what motivates them and make them successful at their new company. So, right. and then one one other piece, graphology, and this is a piece you got to be careful with, but that's the study of graphic movement. It's handwriting analysis, and I may have somebody just come in and say uh, to them, right, Mary had a little lamb, fleece as white as snow," and sign it, or Have them tell me as they come to the company, what do they hope to accomplish or what do they want to see from our company? A right forward slant talks speaks that somebody has forward-thinking ideas. A left backhand slant on writing Uh, is somebody that's Hmm. apprehensive, probably not a good salesperson. Uh, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, others had the maniacal D in their writing where everything was pretty... uh, straight up and even a little bit repressed but then they would have a d that would stand straight and you're going okay that's the way it's not going to work here i think we're going to have a problem with that interesting so yeah and you don't want to claim yourself as an expert but if you read up on graphology you do get the chance it only works on cursive writing not on standard writing and uh you know, somebody may come in at a particular day and be really upset about something, so you got to be careful how you use it. But at the same time, it's one more tool that gives me some more insight on somebody I may not know very well on being able to get a book on them before we ever even meet. So wow. those are some tools I use.
1: Interesting.
4: Well, and for those, you know, I really just now. reinforce that, Jeff, that I, my own father is a classic example of the handwriting in some simple ways how it can make a difference. He was left-handed, and he always had kind of a backwards slant because we thought it was just because he was left-handed. And he went through a change in his life that was very measurable, changed him into a much more positive person, and his handwriting visibly changed to being mm. upward, even more rightward slanting after this very big, significant change in his life. So really? I really interested that Yes, I've seen that mm-hmm. firsthand, So that can be very meaningful. It can. So.
1: Fascinating. Alice? Alice, I would, I'll let you ask it one question, and then we're going to wrap this up. We're looking at the clock, and we're, we're slightly beyond the hour. So go ahead, Alice.
4: So what can an executive or a leader in a company do to keep the good people they want to keep? So, <laughs> you know, you get the person in the door, and now you want to make sure you keep them.
2: Yeah. You want to create a synergy. You want to... When you hear people say, did you hear Jeff just hired so-and-so over there? Did you hear what their team just did last week? Gosh, they went to the iFlight thing down in Tacrola and they got to do that. All of a sudden you have recruits approaching you. You're not out there working so hard to recruit. Now you get your pick of the best. They start coming your way. Life is easy. Life is good. One success follows another. Some of the obstacles out there just become tissue papers. You fall forward. And the the one thing that I tell people for sure is remember not to bask in your success. Some people you never really get there. Unless you keep building and improving what you're doing. Uh like when you're prospecting, the next time to make your, your next prospecting call is when you just secured a appointment with a recruit that you've been trying to get. Build on that momentum. Don't go, I got it. Okay, I'm gonna take the rest of the week off, go play golf. And uh, keep building on that because it just keeps energizing you. And take your take your break away with your team from the office and review what you're doing right. Just let the brainstorming take place. And remember not to get too proud and recognize some of the mistakes and the failures you made during the year as well. But you don't want to repeat those. So, and it just it never comes without hard work. And I'll just. Quote uh, Indira Gandhi here, real quick. But he said, "My grandfather once told me that there were two kinds of people: those who do the work and those who take the credit. He told me to try to be in the first <laughs> group. There was much yeah. less competition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it never comes <laughs> so without hard work. I'll tell you that. Yep.
1: Live, folks, we're talking with Jeff Jensen, who wrote the book "What a Hoot Let's Recruit." It's a great book on recruiting. He gives you some great tools. So now you've listened to Jeff and say, "You know, I'm not too sure about the ping pong table and all that." Well, I, that, that's just <laughs> one idea that you talk about. I love the iFly, and I look. In fact, I was in at Tuckwilla at iFly, I have my daughter in there, and there was a mortgage group in there. Uh, doing that and you sit and look at that you go that's a great idea it's a great team building Mm -hmm. bonding thing so when you get out of the office and do something fun there's many ideas that he has in this book folks i encourage you to get it jeff how can people it's on amazon i got blessed you blessed me with a copy of it Uh, but how can people find out about the book and um and in what various forms do you have you know me i'm an audio guy so I'm yeah, yep. I'm wanting that audio copy, but I did read through the book and it's a great great reading. So how could people get it?
2: Audio copies are coming out second uh, weekend in March here. And uh Good. Hoot eight Hoot and Recruiting dot com. That's H O O T I N recruiting dot com. And they can get it in the okay. ebook, uh uh an audio book like you talked about, hardcover, soft cover. And in the mobile apps as well.
1: The excellent book, folks. I encourage you, you know, if, like I say, if you pick up just a few ideas, it's worth the time invested. But there's more than just a few ideas. This book is jam packed full of great ideas of what you can do. And it's someone who's been doing it all their life. And so, appreciate you taking time, Jeff, to come on the broadcast and talk about it. The next thing, who knows, you may be making a matchmaker uh, service for a. Uh, or come up with an app like uh, what they have for the dating games so, or the dating services. Maybe you can come up with one for automation to, to scientifically do this. But doing a great job with this book. I'm glad you're out there getting the message out. And hopefully those listening to the broadcast will take the time to download, buy, and read this book or listen to it. It's good stuff. Appreciate it, Jeff, very much.
2: Thank you, everyone. All the
1: best to you. It's good to have you, folks. We're going to be back next week with a special guest. We're going to have Ann Chuck. Andy, of course, Alice, we're going to have the the team back, but next week we're going to have Chuck Klein. He'll be on here. He's another business partner of Andy's of mine. Talking about M&A, we're going to give an update of what's going on in the merchant acquisition world. It seems like everyone's buying, selling, or moving, and so there'll be a lot going on, um, and he will be getting an update from Chuck Klein. I think that may be one broadcast Paul Molot will listen to all the way through because he's always trying to get the scoop on that. It's good to have you with us. Appreciate you tuning in and being a part of the broadcast. Tell others about it. You are the reason why this broadcast is getting the attention around the country as much as it is. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of the week, everyone. Talk to you next week.
0: been on Lending. A weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Crow Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.